The sermon this morning is entitled, The Beggar and the Meaning of Life. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We will start with the 46th verse and go to verse 52. Mark 10, 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the wayside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried out the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise. He calls for you. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What do you want me to do to you? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. Unhappy is he who depends on success to be happy. For such a person, the end of a successful career is the end of the line. Uh, Those were the words of Alex Diaz Ribeiro, a former Formula One race car driver. And it gives us pause. Gives us pause to think and ask, are those words true? In his book, The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50, Jonathan Rauch, a Brookings Institution scholar, reviewed the evidence suggesting that the happiness of most adults declines through their 30s and 40s, then bottoms out in their early 50s. Nothing about this pattern is cosmic law, of course, but this is where Mr. Rauch believes the data leads. The news seems mixed. Almost all studies of happiness over the lifespan shows that in wealthier countries, after age 50, people's contentment starts to gain until about age 70 or so. After 70, some people stay steady in their happiness. Others get happier until they die. Still others, men in particular, see their happiness nosedive. Indeed, depression and suicide rates for men increase after age 75. Now, to try to find out why this was, back in 2007, a team of academic researchers at UCLA and Princeton analyzed data on more than 1,000 older adults. Their findings, which were published in the Journal of Gerontology, showed that senior citizens who rarely or never felt useful were roughly three times as likely as those who frequently felt useful to develop a mild disability and were more than three times as likely to have died during the course of the study. Last week, I spent the evening at a bookstore with my little ones. 
On my way to the children's section in the back, I noticed that the rows of books which were committed to teaching people on how to become successful were immense. Interestingly, however, there were no books on how to manage our professional decline. Finding respect through one's profession is nothing new, but in speaking of professional decline, in today's passage of Scripture, we are introduced by Mark to a beggar named Bartimaeus, a man who received no respect whatsoever, largely because he did not have a profession. We are plainly told in verse 46 that he was a beggar. And truth be told, in all likelihood, as I reflected on this text, if I was born in the first century, I would probably be a beggar as well. At negative 7.75 diopters in my left eye, I barely met the medical cutoff to get into the military. And for this reason alone, I am sincerely thankful for the invention of glasses and contact lens. But in those days, there were no contacts, no glasses, LASIK, cataract surgeries, retinal surgeries, or anything of that sort. Having a vision defect or being blind virtually guaranteed a lifetime of begging on the streets. And that's precisely where we find Bartimaeus, on the streets, begging. In fact, biblical scholar Dr. Lightfoot adds that it is possible that Timaeus or Tamai would may be the same with Samaeus, which means blind, from the use of the letter Tau from Samach among, common among the Chaldeans. So that Bartimaeus might mean nothing more than blind son of a blind father. How tragic is that? If true, this was a generational defect, one with generational shame and generational repercussions. I think of the sorrow, the poverty, and the hopelessness endured by this man over his lifetime. His identity for generations was simply and crudely this, blind beggar, the son of a blind beggar. That is, until our compassionate Savior came into his life and gave him a new and true identity. But what about you this morning? Are you exhausted because you're seeking to find your identity in your job? Friend, even unbelievers find that to be a tiring dead end. Benjamin Jones, a professor of strategy and entrepreneurship at Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management, spent years studying when people are most likely to make prize-winning scientific discoveries and develop key inventions. And looking back at major inventors and Nobel Prize winners going back more than a century, he found that the most common age for producing a magnum opus is the late 30s. Jones has shown that the likelihood of a major discovery increases steadily through one's 20s and 30s and then declines through one's 40s, 50s, and 60s. <clears throat> and in a totally separate research, scholars at Boston College's Center for Retirement Research studied a wide variety of jobs and found considerable susceptibility to age-related decline in fields ranging from policing to nursing. One study 
And I'm a big baseball fan. One study found that the best-performing home plate empires in Major League Baseball have 18 years less experience and are 23 years younger than the worst-performing umpires, who are, at average, 56 years old. Or examine another career field. Among air traffic controllers, age-related decline is so sharp and the potential consequences of decline-related errors so dire that the mandatory retirement age is 56. So much for finding eternal joy in one's job. Now, the 10th chapter of Mark is written in a strategically cohesive manner. As you recall, some of you have sat through all the teachings in this chapter. The chapter starts off with Jesus' teaching on the lifelong permanence of marriage and his revolutionary teaching in verse 12 of chapter 10 that living in any remarriage after a divorce is adultery. And while the chapter ends with the story of a blind beggar who has nothing, right in the middle of the chapter are accounts of his disciples seeking power and the story of the rich young ruler who was unable to choose eternal riches over earthly possessions. We all recall Jesus famously crying out in verse 23, how hard is it for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of God? Now, no one can imagine a man lying on his deathbed with his last breath crying out, Oh, how I wish I had more stuff. It has always puzzled me that many wealthy people keep working solely to increase their wealth, amassing far more money than they could possibly spend or even usefully give out in an inheritance. Many people in our society know only how to measure their self-worth in monetary terms. Hence, they stay on the hamster wheel year after year. And they believe that at some point they will finally gather enough money to feel truly worthwhile, truly successful, truly happy, and therefore ready to die. Now this, of course, is a deadly mistake. And not a benign one. Jesus said that a human being is unable to simultaneously worship both God and money. And even false religions warn people that focusing on the acquisition of stuff leads to attachment and vanity, which derail the person's search for happiness by obscuring one's essential nature. As we grow older, we shouldn't strive to acquire more money, but rather strive at giving money away. What a revolutionary thought, just as Jesus instructed earlier in this chapter in verse 21. By giving away, we discover volumes about who we truly are and the people we've become. By giving away, we become more like Jesus, who said it was indeed more blessed to give than to receive. And so by the time we arrive to verse 50 in chapter 10, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar with nothing, throws away his sole possession in order to do what? 
Yes, he did have one thing. Read verse 50 for yourself. In strategic but ironic fashion, according to the gospel writer Mark, the beggar was able to do what the rich young ruler couldn't do earlier in verse 22. He cast away his earthly possession in order to follow Jesus. The blind man, before the miracle even occurred, was able to see the eternal worth of Jesus, and therefore, he threw away the temporal. And friends, if you walk out of here this morning believing that this passage is simply about Jesus miraculously healing a blind man, then you've missed the point. The final verse of the chapter informs us that something far more profound occurred. You see, Bartimaeus became a Christ follower, a Christian. God didn't just give him the gift of sight that day. In verse 51, verse 52, God also gave the former beggar the gift of eternal life. How did Bartimaeus, the uneducated beggar, gain that which the rich ruler had carefully sought throughout his entire life? The answer is found in verse 52, by having simple but authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And friend, this morning you too can gain eternal life. You may have spent your entire life going to church, but deep down inside, you've never been saved. How do you gain eternal life? How do you gain what Bartimaeus gained that day? By believing in the gospel. Four simple, straightforward points. One, there is a God who is righteous, love, and just. Two, all of us as human beings, rich and poor, intellectual or not, all of us are sinners deserving of hell when we die because sins committed against an infinitely holy God deserve infinite punishment in hell. We are all, by nature, children of wrath. Three, but the good news is that God so loved the world, he gave his only son Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, fully God and fully man, He lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who would put their faith in him. That if you would, number four, repent and believe in this resurrected Savior, Jesus, as your Lord and Master and God, you will have eternal life. Those points have been the orthodox, historic gospel. And that is what Bartimaeus gained that morning in order to have eternal life. And I close with this. Earlier I said that many in our society only know how to measure self-worth by monetary terms. Today both a blind beggar and Jesus powerfully taught us that a man's life is not ultimately measured by dollar signs. Don't fall in love with money because at the end only two things matter, our love for God and our love for others. Many of us know Johann Sebastian Bach. He was a brilliant musician, composer who I don't think is an overstatement to say that he literally helped shape Western civilization. 
He was part of a family that in seven generations produced 53 prominent musicians. God really gifted that family with, with the gift of music. In 1723, he settled down in Leipzig as the town's musical director and the choir master of St. Thomas's church and school. And you think he was a rock star there, but he wasn't. His stay there was quite turbulent. He often argued with the town council who didn't appreciate his musical genius and and many in in the town at that juncture of his life thought of him as a stuffy old man who was stubbornly clinging to obsolete forms of music. In fact, his son, one, he had 20 kids. One of his sons was a, a foremost leader of a new brand of music. And, and so the, the world, it seemed, was going in a different musical direction, leaving him behind. And as a result, they paid him a miserable salary. And when, they, when he died... The town even found a way to defraud his widow of her small inheritance. It was horrible. Bach, yes. Few people knew or even know that he died that way. Yet in this setting, year after year, Bach continued. Yes, with the miserable pay. And in those years, he wrote his most enduring music because for him, you see, money was never the primary motivation. Instead, God was. Bach famously finished each of his manuscripts with the words, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. And today we know that nearly three-fourths of his 1,000 compositions were written for use in worship. The aim and final end of all music, Bach once said, should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Now friends, I don't know about you, but in many ways I think what Bach said about music could be also said about life, amen? The aim and final end of life should be none other than the glory of God and the uplifting of the souls of others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word this morning.